We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I've been so fortunate to play women that are very kind of complicated. I mean, and Deborah probably more than any of them in, in that she's, she's so, in many ways, overcompensates for wounds that she has suffered. And I think it's fun and interesting to, to figure her out because... She treats everybody so differently. You know, she's got a different, she's got an incredibly different relationship with every single person in her life. In fact, I was just talking to someone saying that she's not a diva in the sense that that she treats underlings poorly or anything. She's very respectful of people who work hard for a living, unless she's in a bad mood. (laughs) That's Gene Smart, and I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to the cast and producers of HBO Max's Hacks, about their Emmy-nominated comedy. Also later in this episode, the Variety Virtual TV Fest Emmy Comedy Panel. But first, on the Award Circuit Podcast Roundtable, as Emmy voting is now over, what we hope might surprise us. And also, we dissect some of the unscripted series and specials categories. It's all next on Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey everyone, voting is over, pencils down. I am Variety's Michael Schneider, joined as always by Danielle Terciano. Danielle? Hi. And Jazz Tanke. Hello, birthday boy. <laughs> and That's right, this, birthday week. Yes, it's which, uh, you know, nothing like working on your birthday, but that's a whole other story. Joe Otterson is here, straight hey. from the streets of New York City. Right, Brooklyn. Are you in the, the in B Town? Do they call it B Town? Did I just no. make that up? I have no idea. They probably. <laughs> I, I, I've been here like three weeks, so I'm not really up on all the, the lingo yet. It's the People's Republic of Brooklyn, I think. I is say, how Spike Lee refers to it. I always say I say Crooklyn too because of Spike Lee. Yeah, don't do that, Joe. I don't think you're allowed. It's also a very specific part of Brooklyn. There are some other areas that are quite racist. Yeah. So I got, say, I'm living in Brooklyn. That's the this got story. dark fast. Got dark. <laughs> sorry, <fast>. sorry. <laughs> well, that's what I'll say. Listen, I wanted Joe to uh, come on this week, especially first off to celebrate the renewal of Cobra Kai season five before we even get a season four. What? What? Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Strike fast. Strike <laughs> hard. Show no mercy. No mercy. That's right. 
How exciting <laughs> is that, Joe? I'm really hoping they employ that strategy at the Emmys and pull off just the upset of all time and, and win Best Comedy Series because they deserve it, frankly, I think. And I'm being completely serious when I say that. I'm not kidding. I think they actually because <laughs> I've said this before and I'll say it again. I mean, if you look at all of the just ridiculous reboots and revivals and continuations of all these old franchises that we're seeing now, there's very few that I think have done it better than Cobra Kai. I mean, if there's probably a couple others that we, I'm sure, like you know, you you could name off right now. But I mean, in terms, I think it's the best one that's that that we've seen in the last few years. I agree. I agree. I'm I'm a kind of biased too, but I think it's it's one show that actually surpassed the the original. Let's face it, we all mm. love Karate Kid. Uh, the sequels, not so much, but you know, it it was very much of its time. And Cobra Kai has brought this depth and emotion and and the kind of storytelling uh, that's, you know, fits right in with prestige TV, which obviously you would have never argued that Cobra, uh, that uh, Karate Kid was a prestige film. It was just a fun, you know, film that we loved as kids, but Cobra Kai has brought a whole new depth and emotion to it. I know Daniel agrees with me. I would like to say that everything you guys are saying, I would be saying about Saved by the Bell as well. So I feel like next year I'm just going to steal this conversation for my Let's Get Saved by the Bell and Emmy campaign because I don't disagree about Cobra Kai, but I also think that that's the marker I'm looking for. If you're going to take an old franchise and do it again now, like you better be saying something new and different for the time and you better be evolving the emotions and, and acknowledging that the p the original piece was very rooted in a specific time and times have changed and you know they did yeah no i i definitely could see that jazz uh have you had a favorite uh reboot uh remake or reimagining or favorite episode? Uh, I- <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what i was gonna say cobra kai and the only reason my i guess my uh radar flipped to i appreciate this a lot is when I broke down a, the stu- I spoke to the stunt performer mm-hmm. and really appreciated it. And I was like, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really, I was mocking it. I was like, this is not a comedy, but in, in terms of like stunts and you go behind the scenes, it's like, okay, I like this a lot. Yeah. Well, that's crazy fight scenes on that show. Yeah. Oh, Every Definitely. season has to end with another crazy fight scene and yeah. it, it lives up to it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's that, that question of what's a comedy and does it deserve to be a comedy? That's definitely dogged a lot of shows this year. And when you look at the, the comedy series category, I mean, you could say that about most of these shows, yeah. Kaminsky method, hacks, flight, flight attendant, attendant, Cobra Kai, um, even, you know, Ted Lasso, it's not a laugh out loud show. It's just a fun, like clever show. Pen 15, um, kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, uh, like blackish. Uh, they're, they're uh, all, I mean, Emily in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's face it, all of these shows are comedies with, with dramatic moments. I mean, blackish is probably the most, uh, you know, sort of pure comedy of this batch. Um, that's just what comedy is, I suppose, in, in 2021. Are there like pure, I mean, think about it. What What's a pure comedy that's out there right now that, um, I guess, I mean, Girls 5 Eva is rat-a-tat-tat jokes. Uh, you know, the, that's, you know, Mr. Mayor, a, a lot sort of in the, you know, that, that 
sort of NBC comedy world. But I think I think that's just if we're just looking at jokes on the page, I don't think a lot of writers want to do just that anymore. So I think there's purposely been a move away from that, partially because that's what it had been for so long. And so to do something different, you know, is to expand. But um, I also think it's a very different skill. And I think, you know, bringing in more emotion, more drama opens the storytelling up in a lot of ways. Um, I would probably argue that Girls 5 Eva is the one that is the closest and is definitely the one that made me laugh out loud the most this past television season. Um, although I don't, I don't know what I'm allowed to say about fall shows that I've seen that are under embargo. So I, there, there is one show that I did laugh out loud at. I will say that in coming. So we can all think for that. I, is, I think it's safe to say that, right? I mean, that's not a review. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> that's, I remember saying something about having seen Gossip Girl early on this podcast and then was like sweating for a week because I was like, HBO Max is going to find me and murder me because I mentioned that I saw it early and that Gossip Girl was not a secret. And I was just like, that maybe is the end of me and my career. <laughs> Well, going back to the reboots real quick, I mean, one show that did not go the dist- distance and was recently canceled was Punky Brewster. Right. That really surprised me. You know, I didn't know anybody that heard of, of it. And I, I yeah. say that knowing, like, that's such a classic title that I thought it would have made more noise. But for whatever reason, like, I don't even think Peacock really made a lot of noise with it in terms of advertising because I just, when it got canceled, I had more people coming to me and being like, when did this even come out? Then they were upset about it. They just didn't know it had came and went. Yeah. Maybe they'll have to resell it to Netflix and then turn it into a thing and then renew it for another 20 episodes. I wonder if it's because people couldn't find the peacock. Like that's half of the problem, right? Of like the show drops you hear nothing about it, but half the time is like, oh, a can, how do I find Peacock? Oh, yeah, I forgot I had Peacock. Mm. It just felt like a missed opportunity because it was like yeah. there was so much fanfare around the Save by the Bell reboot that, or re- reimagining that there should have been, they could have drafted off of that. It's like, hey, it's another thing in that vein from that general time in the 80s and 90s that you loved on the same platform. Just come over here. And then they didn't. Yeah, well, there wasn't any real staying power for Punky Brewster the way there was for Save Maybe. by the Bell. That that yeah. remained a part of the pop culture zeitgeist. You know, it's it's you know, didn't you like you went to that? Uh, you know, when they reimagined the Max, yes, right? I did. Multiple times, yes. Now, but, if they I were... mean, I, yeah, I guess I guess <laughs> what would you have done for Punky? I mean, that's a good question. Would they have built a treehouse? Would they have built a refrigerator on the side? of the I road? was about like... to say they they would have put. <laughs> Old refrigerators, like in abandoned lots around Terrible. town, and see how many kids get trapped in there, and, and then quickly teach CPR to everyone, so they they learn a valuable lesson. Educational. Yeah, it's 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 funny that that's what we all remember the most from Punky Brewster. True. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know. Like I mentioned, voting is now over, and so I guess that means we're we're kind of getting close to to the end of it all, right? I mean, are you guys feeling nostalgic for for this season, or what's 
Daniel, what's what's sort of your feeling now that uh, pencils are down, like I said, and you know, votes votes are in, and now we just sort of wait for the results. Yeah, I have no sense of nostalgia. Um, I have started on my spreadsheet for next year, and I am already looking ahead to next year. And I'm just like, this year, you know, the decisions have been made. We don't know what the answer is yet. I almost don't care as much as what the answer is, as what do I have to plan for next year? Because that will be here right around the corner. Um, I mean, I do care. I don't want people to think that like, I don't, you know, it, it's going to matter what what ends up winning. But I also feel to a degree that I already know it's going to end up winning, even though it's not official yet. So I'm yeah. just kind of moving on and looking at the next thing. Yeah. Jazz, is there anything in particular you're now sort of excited for as, as we get to the actual ceremonies? Well, I'm looking forward to covering the Creative Arts Emmys on Saturday for the first time. That would be very interesting to see if we're still going to have it in person, first of all, because I feel like that could change in a second. Yeah. Um, so as of now, it's in person. So yeah, just seeing how what that atmosphere will be like and being in the room where it happens. And that will be like, yeah, we're finally here. We're This is it. Yeah, that, and that's interesting in that in that they're having press actually there on site for the creative arts, but not for the primetime Emmys. So, yeah, I'll 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 be there that Sunday as well. Um, I guess dressed up. Do do we get dressed up to these things? I I feel like uh, they shouldn't force everybody to be as fancy as we have been in the past. Like that's just unfair. Like first should. of all, the press tent is never. You know, it's not like we're walking the red carpet you know, we're not going to be televised. So to ask everybody to show up in black tie, and this is purely selfish because I'm too lazy to put on real shoes, but um, that always bothered me. Like I literally would sit in the back, you know, with all of you guys at, for the Emmys sitting under, like sitting at a desk, my feet are under a table and I would just wear flip-flops and I would have shoes with me to change into for when I needed them. But I was just like, this just feels mean to ask me to sit here in a gown and fancy shoes and sweating for no reason because it's hot back here. Yeah. No, no, thank you. I did the flip-flops too. And that is the secret. Like always have a pair of flip-flops in your bag or with you because you do not want to be wearing heels I mean, especially now after we've been in right. the pandemic for so long. And, and having to walk through that security, like I got lost one year. I just went around instead of straight through. And so I like, I walked all around LA live and I was like, my feet would be bleeding if I was not in flip-flops right now. Yeah. 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 Well, it's uh, going to be an interesting experience because as of now, uh, you know, the things are still changing, but uh, the event is going to be in a well-appointed tent. Mm-hmm. Um so I look uh, forward to all of your tweets. I will be working remotely from home. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see, see how that goes. And if there's any uh, dust ups with the, uh, the testing and, and it's, it's going to be elaborate just getting people into these ceremonies, let alone figuring out what these ceremonies are going to be. So, so I guess that's the next thing is to wait and see just what these shows look like. But, um, yeah, otherwise, uh, I think at this point we sort of do feel like we know, the, the the winners for the most part but you know i'm looking forward to hopefully a surprise or two like that cobra kai win in best comedy so we'll we'll see or bridgerton as no, best no one drama. could see that <laughs> I know. no just it did a victory uh, image but a uh, best but yeah but I, it's okay i did that I, I do that on this podcast all the time where i wave, wave and then mike is like nobody can see you it's a podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's more for me than anything mm-hmm. else 
Yeah. Well, let's look real quick at the uh, unscripted categories, uh, uh, especially first off competition series, because uh, you know we've been talking about scripted the past several weeks. But uh, for for competition series, it's the same o same o, which is why maybe it's not as exciting to talk about. But you do have Amazing Race, uh, which is an old favorite. Uh, they've won 15 awards through the years. Nailed It is back. RuPaul's Drag Race, which is the incumbent champion at this point, which seems to win everything. Top Chef uh, coming off a fantastic season in Portland. And The Voice, which somehow is still there. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jazz, do you have a, a, a favorite or is it uh, RuPaul just nonstop all the time? I think the um, the voters they're not done with the RuPaul uh, streak, and I think it's this is the year it still gets that crown. Yeah, at least I it think. does feel like yeah. at least one more year, both both the show and RuPaul himself. But Joe, you think any upsets in the offing? I mean, I would love it if Nailed It were to win. I'm a big uh, fan of Nicole. Uh, Nicole Byron hosts the show, um, but yeah, I agree with Jazz. I just think the the RuPaul energy is strong and um people aren't gonna aren't gonna quit on that one just yet it's probably got at least another year if not two in it where it's going to take home the gold then you think maybe they they could split the category maybe nicole wins as for host and yeah. rupaul's drag race still wins a show is 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 there a chance you think you know it's interesting i mean because there's such a an opportunity for rupaul to make history with wins this year i don't know I do, I do agree with Jazz where I feel like they're not done with him yet. And I think it's, if you're going to vote for him in one category, I feel like you're going to vote for him in both. Um, I would love to see, I agree with Joe, I would love to see Nailed It take something because, you know, just a few years ago, Drag Race was, and, and RuPaul both were the new kids that, that took the crown. Um, in, in this category specifically, they took it from the boys. So as much as I still love Drag Race, I would like to see it shaken up. And the new kid on the block now is nailed it. So I would love to to see that happen. Um, but I almost, and this is, again, unfair because I've seen things that other people haven't seen yet. But I almost feel like next year, the season that they're about to drop, which will then be eligible next season, is the one they'll end up maybe celebrating a little bit more. This year was a double trouble episode, which was a season which was very special, but different. And I don't know... I don't know how much that caught on. I'm still waiting yeah. for Sexy Beast though to win next year. I think Sexy Beast is going to Well, be- sure. That's <laughs> Although but that would be a different category. So oh, that's so that's what's interesting, right? right? Like I I mean I do wonder what will happen with all of these new weird dating shows that some of them may end up being one-offs. I don't know what's going to happen with Sexy Beast. Like F-Boy Island was renewed. Um <laughs> I, I'm curious to see if they're embraced, honestly. Like, I know you were kind of making a joke, but like, I am curious to see if they will be embraced. To be clear, I was making a joke. I am. Yes, not. I know. <laughs> but I am not. I'm very fascinated by the phenomenon because I saw a lot of people tweeting about it, but they were tweeting about it now, you know, in a summer yeah. where people were perhaps bored. I don't know. Next year, we'll see what happens. Well, let's uh, talk about hosted nonfiction series or special. At least you know, here's another category that's a little less, uh, you know, p- people aren't paying as much attention to, so it could be anyone. So you've got My Next Guest Needs No Introduction with David Letterman. You've got Oprah with Megan and Harry, a CBS primetime special. You've got Stanley Tucci, Searching for Italy, United Shades of America with W. Kamau Bell, and Vice on Showtime. So it's a weird. I mean, this is a weird mm, race because it's a weird United mix. Shades moved into this race, and it's 
it's, you know, been popular in its previous category. And so I'm like, does that mean they're just going to nominate it here? Or I'm sorry, award it here? Or does that mean they're going to forget about it and be confused because it's suddenly in a different race? Yeah, that's a good question because it is, you know, it's up against Letterman, but but uh, my next guest uh, needs no introduction, hasn't received any awards yet, any Emmys. Uh, this is its first nomination. Um so maybe that's in the mix, but then don't discount the Tooch. I was going to say, Tucci, man. People love the Tooch. That was yeah. Very, yeah, it was very popular. Tucci gang? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Tucci. Tucci Just gang. because everybody was tweeting about it. Like, mm-hmm. it, there was a lot of chatter about that. I mean, yeah. obviously, there was a lot of chatter about Oprah, too, but... But not for Oprah, you know? I mean, the no. chatter was for... Megan and Harry. And so I'm like, I don't know if that'll translate exactly. You know, I, and the other, I I hate to say it, but I just don't, I don't think the other ones had any buzz. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 again, it's such a weird category because then you've got vice sitting there, which, you know, vice just laid off half its staff. So I don't know how generous people are feeling about the wrong, wrong buzz. Like we're talking about it, but not for the right reasons. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, one more category I want to check out real quick, Variety Special Pre-Recorded, uh, mm. because this is a fascinating category since you have Bo Burnham inside. You've got David Burns, American Utopia. You've got 846 Dave Chappelle, Friends, The Reunion, Hamilton, and West Wing Special to benefit when we all vote. Ooh. What an odd category. <laughs> that's honestly, like that's this is one of my favorite categories for that reason yeah. because it's yeah. just so weird. And it's like some years, you know, you just have a bunch of stand-up up against each other. And thankfully there's some stuff that's different. And I'm excited to 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 talk about that, but I'm also excited to see what that means, you know, because it's it's almost unfair to ask these things to compete against each other when their productions required so many different things. Um but obviously, I'm not going to lie. I hope Friends wins because I would love to see Courtney Cox get an Emmy for Friends, you know, two decades later. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it, this, this is a hard one to, to really predict because it could be any of them. I mean, early on, I would have said it's Hamilton's just because Hamilton so dominated the nominations, mm-hmm. but there have been such a blowback against yeah. the idea of Hamilton being an Emmy contender, given that it's a yeah. filmed version of a stage show that was shot many years ago. Is right. that fair? So if, if enough voters say, nah, then where do those votes go? And were people so impressed by Bo Burnham inside, which was very impressive. I mean, the fact that he did that pr- production all by himself and it just felt so of the moment was so catchy. Um, but that also feels like it was like years ago now, right? Now. I mean, the world ha- moves so fast that we were talking about Bo Burnham inside back in May, but man, it's August. <laughs> the world's changed a lot since then. I still can't get that Jeffrey Bezos song out of my head. So, I mean, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, shoot, I'm still hoping for Bo Burnham to win that one. I think so. I think he has a slight edge. I think people do. They love that. Like, they're discovering it and, you know, he could get it. But having said that, I did actually go and see Hamilton the other week. And my first thought was, 
Disney, you should like do something Emmy voting related around related around this because even though it's a completely different cast, just being in in the live theater, I could see why it could, it got all those nominations. And if I were a voter, I would probably have gone home and went wash all the way down for Hamilton. Um, but I don't know. I think yeah, Bo gets the edge. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I- Courtney Cox. Oh. No, I, I mean, I do think he has an edge. I mean, his multiple nominations alone, right? Like, and that's that's the one thing that I do wonder is what that will do. You know, if people will say, we'll give him this one and not this one, and which one will that be? Um, or if they'll vote down the line for him. Uh, but one thing, though, and, and Danielle, you po- point out this is traditionally a stand-up category, and Dave Chappelle has won right. this category several times, so we cannot discount that voters may just, out of habit, Chappelle just, like, click. So, again, would not be surprised if Chappelle ended up with this award since everything else could possibly cancel each other out. Lightning round now. I want to hear from each one of you something you've been watching recently or something uh, new that uh, you've been sort of uh, digging on, obsessed with, etc. What are you enjoying right now, Joe? Uh, I finally caught up on Reservation Dogs. I was interviewing Mm -hmm. Sterling Harjo for a story recently, and I thought that's the perfect excuse to catch up on all the episodes of Reservation Dogs. So I've seen all of the five they released so far. And I absolutely love it. It's funny. It's something different. And one thing that he told me in the interview that I really I, I appreciate now as I'm watching it is um, he said they made a very conscious effort not to over explain anything. They don't go into this whole thing of like, OK, this is what all this slang means this is what these kind of like, you know, rituals or whatever of this community mean. It's just here is what it is. And it's kind of up to you to figure it out. And he said, you know, I trust the audience enough to lean in and kind of figure that stuff out for themselves and maybe they'll enjoy it more. And he's completely right. That's absolutely true. And I, I enjoyed it a lot more as a result of that. That's great. I love those twins. I don't even know if they're actually twins, but whenever they pop up in every episode, I just love those two. It's full rappers, the best. Jazz, how about you? I am obsessed with reservation dogs and greasy fry bread if you know if you've seen the episode you know that i just had to google some but yeah that song is so catchy and i was like it is so it's such a great show it's and it's funny and it's well cast and i just want more um i'm also watching nine perfect strangers i have it's that bleep crazy but yeah I'm, I just keep tuning in every, you know, every week to see what is going on here. Like, and Nicole Kidman is brilliant, but I'm obsessed with Manager Sinto's Man Bun too. But, <laughs> and Melissa McCarthy doing drama in this is brilliant. Like, it, it reminds me of her in um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? So, yeah, that's mm. that's my other show, those two. Yeah. Yeah, no, all the, that casting, you know, Michael Shannon playing like with, with the whole dad yeah. bod going on. It's, it's, yeah, there's some, some interesting casting going on there. I, there's a little, it reminds me a little bit and, and maybe, um, you know, partly because of the casting, it reminds me a little bit of homecoming for some reason. Am huh. I the only one who's getting that, that vibe? And well, maybe it's because in- of Cannavale, but also oh. just the mysteriously, like, what are they, you know, the, like I don't know people. if people mm. know what the twist is, but yeah, I, without spoiling what she's doing to them, that has a very similar vibe of homecoming. Yeah. So Danielle, what, uh, what are you into? Danielle just froze right when we uh, went to her. Oh no. Oh no. 
I can go. I doesn't want us to know. Okay, Joe, one more. Let's hear it. A uh, quick shout out to uh, Heels on Stars. If you haven't watched that one, um, I'm really, really into that show. Uh, it takes a little while getting in, but at the back half of the season that they're coming up to now, it really picks up steam, and it just it's so much fun for people who don't know. It's about a small um, professional wrestling promotion in a little town in Georgia. That um, these two brothers are kind of feuding over their father's legacy as they're you know at the top of the promotion. It's really, really good. It's written by Michael Waldron, who just did Loki. Um, Michael Malley, the showrunner, Stephen Amell, and um, Alexander Ludwig star in it. And um, also Kelly Berglund is really good on it. Chris Bauer is really good. Everybody's really great on it. So I'm, I'm definitely I'm pushing for heels for everybody to start watching that one. All right. And Danielle's back. What's your All right. Uh, I don't know pick? what that was. Um, so I don't know what you guys heard. I, I was saying I love the other two on HBO Max. Um, it feels like we waited for the second season for a very, very long time, but it came back funnier. It came back smarter. And there's just so much inside Hollywood jargon and references and jokes. And that's, I love that stuff. I don't know how much of it a general audience might know the specifics of, but that's something that I've always just really globbed onto. Um, spoiler alert, there is an upcoming episode that gives Variety a lot of shout outs, which I just had personal fun with. Mm. Um, and then in preparation for fall, I started watching the original version of Ghosts from the BBC. And that's a great example we were talking about earlier of like just comedy that makes us laugh out loud with a lot of jokes. And that's a great example of that because granted, it's an older show um, that's now being remade for CBS. But the BBC version that I just watched two seasons of is just honestly hilarious. And uh, I will go with two uh, season twos that I'm catch up, catching up on now, and they're both sort of cringe-tastic in their own ways. Um, dig in the season two of Never Have I Ever, which, you know, wasn't sure where they were going to go. You know, that was one of those revelation shows where there, there's something special about season one, and you're like, are they ever going to be able to match that specialness of how that show evolved? And they found a way. I, I think they've done a really good job with season two. Uh, and then season two of Dave, uh, which is another show that's kind of gone in a different direction in season two. It's gotten a little more dramatic, but still has these cringe moments, but going deeper into these characters and the relationships between them. And I just love Gata. Like, <laughs> I, I have such a soft spot for for uh, uh, Dave's best friend, Gata. So definitely uh, enjoying catching up on those two right now. So, and that's where we're going to leave it this week, everyone. So... <laughs> Thanks, Joe, for stopping by. And thanks, Jazz and Danielle. We will see you next week. Have a good one, y'all. See you next week. From HBO Max, Hacks explores a dark mentorship that forms between Deborah Vance, played by Gene Smart, a legendary Las Vegas comedian, and an entitled outcast 25-year-old writer, played by Hannah Einbinder. In addition to Smart and Einbinder, Hack stars series regular Carl Clemens Hopkins as Deborah's business manager, Marcus. All three are Emmy-nominated for their roles. Why are you here? I got a call this morning saying that you wanted to meet. Well, Jimmy sent you against my wishes. Good luck with your career, honey. Okay, bitch. Excuse me, did you have something else to say? Yeah. So cool they let you move into a cheesecake factory. Is that where you wait tables? That seems like a better fit. I'd rather sling bang bang chicken and shrimp all day than work here, you classist monster. <laughs> we can start early tomorrow. For the Variety Streaming Room, I spoke with Smart, Einbinder, Clemens Hopkins, and creators Paul W. Downs, Lucia Aniello, and Jen Stotsky about the success of season one and what's to come in season two. 
We began by talking about when they realized hacks had become a phenomenon. Yeah, I'm not sure if there was actually like one moment or one thing, but I, I guess for me, the um, people coming out of the woodwork that I hadn't spoken to in since I was like a child um, that had yet to come out of the woodwork for anything else I had ever done. <laughs> I think that to me indicated that um, not only were, you know, people who love comedy or, or, you know, like a certain kind of tone of a show, um, really watching it, but people that you would never really guess, um, really were watching it and and loving it. So for me, that was, that was kind of an indicator. That that was the same thing for me. I've heard from people that I haven't spoken to in, uh, decades in some cases. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that, that, that was sort of a first was amazing. Mm -hmm. But also too, we all felt so good about the show. I mean, I, not to sound full of ourselves, but I mean, I think we all liked what we were doing so much and felt so good about it. It was almost like, well, you know, they've got to like it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Paul, Lucia and I a lot on set would be like, if people don't like this, we're retiring. (laughs) If this this isn't it, we don't know what to do. Yeah, I would definitely say it was when like my my childhood bullies like wanted to get lunch, you know. <laughs> the, the classic, they're they're friending you on Facebook. It's uh yeah. not 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 that the kids are fa- friending on Facebook anymore, but they're searching you out. And, and and Hannah, I'm sure like in particular, you know, you're you're sort of seeing like you know all these profiles now. This has really been a moment uh for you and and, and Carl as well to to really sort of uh, you know, People are, are, you know, really talking about this show and, and what's that experience been like in, in sort of, uh, you know, this, this exposure that you now. Well, I think a, a, a total and complete whirlwind. I think going from the place where we were collectively as, as a, as a um, civilization, I guess, like inside and sort of isolated and then breaking out of that for us all in our own ways, you know, regardless of, you know, even being in the entertainment industry, it's a weird adjustment. And then, um, just to the sheer volume of, of like all of the stuff is um, it's incredible. And it's, it's a, a totally different uh, lifestyle. So I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're holding on. You're holding on. No, and and we, and we have nowhere to go, but down. Yeah. Which is a great way to wait. The great thing to think when you wake up in the morning, which I love. Yeah, that, I yes, that's, a, that's, a that's a new morning affirmation. Affirmation ever. <laughs> no 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 pressure on season two right no pressure no the show writes itself it's like whatever you know we'll figure it out we'll figure it out on set you know let's just show up we miss each other let's get back together i really miss all these people yes I'm, I'm, i'm most excited just to go back and play again it's like this is all you know wonderful and great but it's still like now we are in boxes and computers and like where where's Where's us again? Yeah. Carl, I think we're going to have a lot more of Carl dancing and a lot more of Hannah in her underwear. <laughs> dancing <laughs> dancing and eating sandwiches. That's, that's, hey, that's number one talking. We got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I am. That's fine. Fine with me. Yeah, yeah the season two yeah. teaser. Uh, Carl, what is this? Uh, I mean, you now get to have Emmy nominee in front of your name. No matter where you go, you get to put that now. What, what has that meant for you? It's great for the resume. Um, <laughs> the team really likes it. No, I. It's it's really nice and it's really humbling. It's really cool and it's kind of 
I'm very aware of the rarity of it and the specialness of it. And I'm just, I'm really grateful and kind of, um, it, it's not helped me get a job yet, but I'm very <laughs> hopeful. I'm very hopeful moving forward. But yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back to the beginning, uh, Jen, Paul, and, and Lucia. I know you've talked about this in the past, but I'm sure a lot of folks watching haven't heard the the origin story. How you all sort of landed on this idea, the inspiration coming out of a conversation about cancel culture, quote unquote. Uh, take us back to that moment that sort of led to this germ of an idea for hacks. Well, yeah, actually, we were on the road going to. Um the filming of my Netflix special, The Characters, and we were going to Portland, Maine, where there was a Monster Jam monster truck rally. <laughs> so this idea was born um, at the most macho event you could ever imagine. But really more so than um, cancel culture, we were talking about female comedians, the women in comedy that um, meant so much to us and also to the you know history of comedy in general, who really didn't get their due, who never sort of got the same opportunities or accolades that a lot of their male counterparts had. And how um, it's so easy for people, I think, to falsely judge, uh, especially in comedy, people of other generations. And so in that car ride, we were like, that could be a show, a show about, you know, learning to appreciate the role someone like Deborah Vance played in the history of comedy through the eyes of a younger writer. Um, and yeah, we came up with that in 2015. So it's been six very easy years, <laughs> and then boom, it's on TV. Yeah, yeah. 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 the the long five year overnight success. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did you start to really hone who Deborah Vance was going to be? And uh, you know, and I love how you've put so much of, of an origin story in, and, and you know, the, the the use of technology to sort of create this entire career for for this character. When when did you sort of like figure out who Deborah Vance was? Yeah, I mean, in a way, she, of course, is an amalgamation of many uh, female comedians, but also women in the arts in general, because she has, you know, a similar, she started out as a two-person uh, live show, a little Nichols and May. She had a very public divorce, very Lucille Ball. There's a lot of Debbie Reynolds, a lot of Joan Rivers, um, uh, Phyllis Stiller's huge inspiration. I know uh, the writing I know for Jean as well. Um, but in terms of actually who she is today and her nuances and her quirks, those are things that, you know, sometimes they're born from us building the character, but sometimes they're just born from us wanting to explore what is it like for a woman who has a lot of money and how does she use that money? Or is she using it sometimes as a weapon as she does in like 108 uh, when she's heckling that stand up? Or sometimes is she using it as protection from the outside world and from her relationships? And, and so we try to um, explore really the psychology of a woman like that. And also sometimes just things that made us laugh. Um, so, so yeah, we really pulled from so many different um, places in terms of inspiration, but also um, we really wanted her to be a unique and specific person. And I think, you know, also having Jean so brilliantly play the part, it also helped make it feel that much more lived in and real. And I know she brought a lot to it um, specifically that we couldn't have put on the page. So it really is, um, Magic. That's how, actually. <laughs> that was the um, long and then the short was uh, magic. <laughs> A lot of drugs, I heard. <laughs> Some quaaludes. Gene, <laughs> uh, talk about how you got in involved and, and sort of when did this alchemy all sort of come together for you? Well, my 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 agent talked to me and said they would like to meet you to talk about this this project. And it, it sounded absolutely 
fabulous. And, and it sort of ticked off. And of course, then we met and I fell in love with them and, and it sort of ticked off every box. If I could have had, you know, my pick of my next series, my next job, um, I couldn't have asked for more in, in every sense. And, um, I just felt incredibly uh, fortunate, you know, and and I'm glad it took them six years because (laughs) six years ago, they may not have wanted me. So far too young. Yeah. Too young. But that was was it. (laughs) Well, you've been on this role, Gina, of playing just these, these kick-ass strong characters on Fargo and on Watchmen. and, And you've been really sort of like, diving into some real interesting, meaty roles. And, and Deborah Vance, I think, is, is you know, a part of that. Uh, just this, these, these kick-ass female protagonists. Um, it's, it's been sort of a, a fun ride, I think, in recent years for you. How, how would you kind of oh, I, put I mean, Deborah Vance in that? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I you know, I certainly realize that, that that's not the norm for most actresses um, of my vintage Um, but I mean, I, I've, I've been so fortunate to play women that are very kind of complicated. I mean, and then Deborah, probably more than any of them in, in that she's, uh, she's so in many ways overcompensates for, um, wounds that she has suffered. Um, and I think it's, it's just it's fun and interesting to, to figure her out because she treats everybody so differently. You know, she's got a different, she's got an incredibly different relationship with every single person in her life. Um, in fact, I was just talking to someone saying that uh, she's not a diva in the sense that, that she treats underlings poorly or anything. She's very respectful of people who work hard for a living Um Unless she's in a bad mood, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then uh, you know, all's fair, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and and, and and I think her biggest regret maybe her maybe her relationship with her daughter. You know, it's um, it's kind of a classic example of a parent thinking they've, they've tried to do the right thing and it turned out to be the worst thing possible. Which, as a parent, is devastating. You know? Yeah, 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 and and we see that uh, yeah early on in in the the, the first episode as well. <laughs> um, let's uh, so so Jen Paul and Lucia, um, you know, talk a little bit about casting Gene and and you know now when you watch the show, you can't imagine anyone else in that role. Um, you know, what were sort of the your sense at the time in in sort of you know uh, finding her for this and and you know making sure that uh, you know. This, this, you could pull this off. I think I should leave the room. You're here to burning. Yeah. I mean, like Lucia was sort of saying earlier, we had put in so much work in like crafting this character and their, the backstory and who she was. And it was a very layered part. And also the part kind of embodied the tone of the show. We wanted it to be really, really funny, but also emotional and dramatic and grounded. And so we, you know, when you start making the list of actors who can do 
play both sides of that coin, be so lightning, funny and fast and quick, but then also so dramatic and real and just like bring you to tears in an instant. Like it's a really short list. And and to us, Jean was at the top of it because she is just so incredible at, at both of those things. And that's so incredibly rare. And so it was, that was it. We were like, this is the person who embodies the tone of the show. This will be the like North star for us. And so, yeah, getting, getting Jean to sign on also, like Lucia said, it just like opened the world up for us as writers and creators, like, because we knew there was nothing we could write that she couldn't execute. And that is just like such an incredible gift. A lot of times, you know, and this is normal and fine as a writer, you're like, oh, okay, this, this actor, this is not their strong suit. We need to adjust. And like, that doesn't happen with Jean. Like she, she pushes us to be better writers, honestly, because we're like, she can do anything so we can write anything. In fact, and Michael, you mentioned this, you mentioned Fargo and Watchmen and all of these things that she's been in recently, but Jean's been our favorite thing of Almost everything she's done, whether it's Frasier or the Brady Bunch movie, sorry, but my favorite part. Like, there are so many things where we're like, we just want more Jean Smart. And we feel so lucky to have a front row seat to watch her in a role that gets to display her full range. And, and the thing is, is that I don't even think we've fully seen it. I think she's just getting warmed up. And it's really, for us, it's been kind of an imaginal experience. I want to sing next season. Yeah, okay. Okay. We're, we're working, on, working, it. On, it. We're working, working on, on it. We're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah, taking your show on the road in season two. Um, well, obviously, the other half of this equation is is uh, Ava, played by Hannah. And, uh, oh, I thought you were going to say Jimmy, the manager, but yeah, sorry. Ava. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, I, I know you're prepping that Jimmy spinoff, Paul. I was I, ready I, to I, go, but it's okay. Go ahead, Hannah. Jimmy, information <laughs> point. <laughs> Well, why don't we, uh, we've got a clip uh, actually of uh, when uh, uh, Deborah and Ava first meet. And of course it's as awkward as you would expect. So why don't we roll that right now? So for the clip, I'll, I'll tell you guys real quick. It's the one where uh, uh, Deborah is like, okay, what's your favorite joke of mine? And clearly mm. Ava's like- Classic. <laughs> <laughs> so Hannah, how does that compare to actually auditioning for the role on Hacks? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, polar, Polar, polar opposite, <laughs> polar opposite. I was made to feel comfortable before I even got to the audition or the, the screen test with Jean, because she called me the night before to be lovely and say like loving, calming things to me, which is something that Jean naturally does as a loving, nurturing um, accommodating, lovely person. Um, she, she doesn't give you the chance to be nervous or intimidated because she immediately goes out of her way to make people feel comfortable because she's so lovely. And she called me the night before and just, you know, um, made me feel far more at ease than I, than I was at the time. And I really feel like I was able to, um, be very in the moment and free and and present um, because Jean made me feel so so comfortable walking into a situation that otherwise would be terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it was a polar opposite. Although the the sort of like quips back and forth towards the end of that scene are pretty spot on. We <laughs> kind of hopped in there 
<laughs> sort of immediately, I think. Yeah. What did you What did you make of of Ava and sort of what What was sort of your take that you know obviously impressed the the producers and and you think uh, you know landed you this spot? I really believe that so much of her, because like Paul Jen and Lucia come from sort of like a similar comedy scene. Um, Ava is such a vivid person already, and she's one that they know and that I know in our lives as comedians. Um, so it was, it felt like because we all have that frame of reference, I understood her, um, as she was already written, um, because we know Ava's tons of them, um, various, you know, iterations in our actual lives. So really I just was accessing, um, what I think we all kind of accessed in ourselves and others um, in, in the character. Yeah. And, and where, where do you think, I mean, what's her honest first opinion of, of Deborah and, and how do you think that kind of evolves over the season? I mean, I, I think that she's in a, a really, uh, she's kind of at a rock bottom place and she's um, not yet ready to look at herself um, as to maybe how she could have, you know, how she contributed to where she's at. And also, you know, it's not entirely her fault. I think she's held as a woman to a, a different standard. Um, so that's definitely a factor. But yeah, Ava has some some growing to do. And I think um, she she's yet to be sort of, like I said, in the place to, to see that. And so, um, you know, I just totally blanked and forgot the original question. <laughs> <laughs> do you Sorry. like that? Do you like caftans? I think we're <laughs> <laughs> oh, your favorite it. recipe. No, um, her her sort of feel, how her opinion and feelings about Deborah evolve. As oh yes. So all of that being said, um, she's she's in a combative place. She's not yet able to sort of go like, oh, I should kind of step outside myself and sort of have respect uh, for this person and what they've done. She meets. Deborah at the place she exists when she meets her, not having the background of her entire life and what she's been through and who she really is. Um, she gets a surface level um, sort of uh, exposure to Deborah. So, um, you know, she, she, uh, oh my God, can you believe it? I forgot the original question. <laughs> Does she, where's she in the end? The end of the season. brain damage. I do, you know, I already hits to the head, a lot of drugs. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I do, I love the the scene or the the, the episode where Ava goes, <laughs> and, he's going through the archives and watching the old videos um. and watches the pilot to the talk show. And and there's that moment of like this new, almost found like respect, like slowly, Ava's being, edu she's educating herself and, and starting to like garner this appreciation of, of what Deborah has gone through as a female comedian mm -hmm. uh, especially in the 70s and 80s when it was impossible and and like I, it's it's fun to watch Ava sort of learn this and and watch this and and sort of garner this respect that maybe she just had never thought about before because uh, she just thought uh Deborah was kind of hacky exactly yeah so. <laughs> agree fully agree <laughs> um, but uh, for Jen, Paul, and Chia, uh, you know, talk about Ava and and who you wanted this character to be, and and uh, you know, Hannah was mentioning she she kind of reminds us of a lot of young writers that we know and, and a lot of young comedians that we've seen in Los Angeles. Uh, 
who did you want this person to be? Yeah, I mean, she's somebody who I think, you know, we all, I think, come into this industry hoping to actually just come and make great work. But the more you are actually in this industry, the more that unfortunately the ego becomes such a big part of it and the competitiveness and all of that kind of stuff. And some people can shy away from it and some people kind of get um, consumed by it. And I think Ava is somebody who has success very quickly and does become consumed with the like, who are the cool kids? Where are the, you know, what, what is the ego part of, of the industry? Um, and in the pilot, I think we meet her kind of at the height of that. Um, she really is so self-involved and self-absorbed. Um, but I think, of course, as you're kind of suggesting, over the course of the season, that kind of starts to break down as she starts to learn about, you know, perhaps the path that was forged and how hard it was um, and, and how easy it has been for her. And she understands the value of hard work. And so that that facade starts to kind of crumble a bit and she starts to kind of also be forced to um, do some self-reflection. But I think um, in terms of her as a character in the beginning, I mean, I think part of what we wanted to do is really have somewhere to take her over the course of the season and the series. Um, and so that forced us to kind of make somebody who was really in a, in a bad spot um, professionally and personally in the beginning. But I think because Hannah is so innately likable and sweet, and you can kind of tell that there's such a good person underneath there that you were allowed to kind of make Ava a little bit, um, uh, I'm not an ideal, perfect person, but you can, there's still a reason that you stick around with her and you still root for her. And she does make rooting for her worth it over the course of the season, because you see, um, as she starts to appreciate Deborah, she starts to realize she's not perfect in episode five falling. She really starts, you know, she says, mm-hmm. I, I think I might need to change my entire personality. And so she does have these moments of, of, of self-reflection. I, and I hope that, you know, even though she does one step forward, two steps back with sending the email about Deborah towards the end of the season, she is somebody who's on the path to her own kind of redemption, which is trying to become a better person. Um, even if her, um, mentor is not necessarily a perfect person herself, but I think that they are on a journey and on a path to making each other better. And and that really is, I think, hopefully the point of the show is that sometimes through creative collaboration or whatever it is, the the constant banging of heads, if you really have empathy for the other person, you really can, it can help you become a better person. So um, Ava is somebody we're just really, I think, all rooting for. And the kiss completely turned her around. (laughs) that's another thing we're going to do in season two i'm going to kiss every character in the show eventually every episode. <laughs> weirdly it was in your contract we just saw that i know yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a request and we, I, we honor requests we do, we're going we to start with rose <laughs> great I, I thought that was special, but I guess. Uh... <laughs> that's, that's how you're going to plant the Jimmy spinoff. That's what we the Jimmy uh, series. But um, yes. I do. I love the, you know, the power moves that Deborah plays. And that's a part of what you're talking about as these characters grow. And one of the early power moves is when they're stuck in the desert and she calls the helicopter. And we have that clip right now. So let's take a look. All right. So that's. That is a moment. We see several moments, uh, you know, throughout the season as these two butt heads. I mean, how how alike are these two? And, and you know, I'm sure you had this conversation a lot in the writers' room. You know, they're they they come at it from different angles, but they're both stubborn headed. They both have preconceived notions about each other. They they're both looking for redemption. Uh, you know, there's a lot 
of similarity, obviously, between these two. And, and maybe that's why they do butt heads. What was sort of your conversations like and, and what that dynamic was going to be and, and how tense was it going to be between those two? Yeah, we really did want them to be reflections of each other and to um, give credit to Lucia's direction. You know, we meet Deborah in the reflection of her vanity in her dressing room. And then we meet Ava in the reflection of the glass of her manager's office. And when, you know, when we wrote this pilot, it was really interesting because I think in a traditional kind of a network um, experience, they might've said, get them together faster. It's about their relationship. But we were able to really build the world and set them on a collision course that allowed us to really learn about both women before they meet. And then they have this seven page scene in the pilot, There Is No Line, where they really do come together. And I think in that scene, Deborah sees a younger version of herself in Ava. And while Ava can't necessarily see the ways in which they're so similar yet, um, they both turn each other on. You know, they really make each other laugh and in barping each other like comedians do, it's kind of a love language. So we really, I mean, it's a tribute to both Gene and Hannah being able to take a seven page scene and make it dynamic and make it sing and have music to it. Um, but also, uh, you know, I think it's because these characters are meant to be together that we needed that kind of a scene to climax in the pilot. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then, uh, you know, how, how it ends is, is uh, you know, I, I, it could go in so many different directions now. <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> yeah, what would be the best direction? Exactly. I think the, the all musical episode is going to be great. Um, well, Carl, let's talk about Marcus because Marcus is sort of in the middle of, of all of this. And Marcus in the middle, indeed. Has, has a lot of thoughts on Ava, has a lot of frustrations, but loves Deborah. Um, mm-hmm. How would describe where your character is and 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 their thought process and in, in sort of like this, this crazy world that they're, that yeah. they're in the middle of. Well, I feel like uh, as Marcus is someone who helped create the current world that exists in, I think he's gotten comfortable is the wrong word, but he very much knows his job and is very happy to be behind the scenes, focused on the work, whatnot. And then this interrupting child comes in and pretty much threatens to blow it all up so i think yes you um but i think i think he's just kind of i think it's a it's a a two-sided thing because while this is happening at work he's also realizing that he has a personal life and has to be a part of his own life and has kind of devoted all his attention to this one entity so I'm just, I'm very excited by the idea of playing such a full character. And I'm so grateful for everyone who helped create this entire world because it's, it does leave it with so many places to go. So yeah, you know, he's just kind of figuring it out one step at a time. Yeah. It's not Alki, but you get the idea. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously the, the, the worry that we have for, for Marcus is that, you know, he's, he's put his personal life on hold. It looked like, Mm -hmm. you know, he had finally sort of chose happiness and a relationship and was finally sort of like creating some independence, but then Deborah managed to pull him back in and, and, yeah. and, and you know, that's, there's, there's that, that kind of cult of personality. He just, he can't resist being in that, that, that realm. 
Well, it's also the safest realm for him to be in. You know, there's less there's less risk involved. So, I mean, I think I think you're right in that. You know, Deborah kind of pulls him back into it, but he also allows, you know, that th- uh, that force to pull him away from what he otherwise could be doing. So, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting take on a workaholic like dynamic between two people who you know love and respect each other, but aren't always what the other needs yeah yeah i mean it's, well, if it's, you'd picked anybody but that water nazi you know I always- <laughs> anybody else all the guys in las vegas and you picked <laughs> one person he's so cute yeah he is <laughs> so, you know it's it is it is a healthier relationship than say smithers and mr burns so at least <laughs> yes yes although that's a yeah. halloween episode i don't know who that is it's from so, the Simpsons. Simpsons. The villains from the Simpsons. Oh. So, so Gene, I'm I'm curious the the the, the process of of uh, you know playing a stand up and and sort of you know uh, pra- practicing that skill. Uh, uh, you know what you did in terms of prepping for that. Uh, maybe what you watch or what you did uh, to sort of uh, you know get that rhythm and 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 portray someone on stage like like you do with Deborah. You know, I, I don't have a good answer for that because people have asked me that similar. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't have an idea particularly like, oh, I want to be like this person or I want to be like this person because every comedian that I admire, and I've always loved watching comedians, um, and all the ones that I've thought were really good are just completely different from each other. They have completely different styles, completely different rhythms. Um, men and women. And so I, I knew that it just had to come from me. I I couldn't force, force uh, something. Um, I didn't want it to be like when you're doing a a foreign accent or something in a movie that you have to just keep drilling it and drilling it and drilling it until it feels natural. I knew that it had to be something more personal. Um, And I, I think most actors are just good mimics you know and i just um i don't know and the writing was so great it just was it just felt easy and and uh it was just so much fun especially the i actually didn't have an actual audience very often in the show but the, the couple times i did it was just um it was really fun i thought well this is this is kind of getting to be a stand-up without any of the risk you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was really 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 fun the scene in the, the comedy club where where Deborah takes on uh, the the host. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, it's a standout moment. So uh, great, so uh, great. I often wonder if I would take that million dollars. Probably. Million <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dollars. That um, that was a great episode. Great, great uh, uh, supporting uh, cast, obviously, like we mentioned, and, and yes. guest stars as well, and and uh, uh, and and uh, you know. We have one more clip, actually, that's also from the first episode. It's with Caitlin Olson, who, of course, plays your daughter and who's so fantastic. as just your screw-up of a daughter. Um, <laughs> why don't we take a look right now? All right, and we're back. So, Jen, Lucia, Paul, anything you can tell in terms of uh, you know, what you're thinking for season two, opportunities to sort of uh, you know, dive deeper into some of these relationships, these characters? There, there's a lot 
left unanswered, obviously. So there's a lot you're going to be able to play with as, as you go back to work. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is an opportunity for us to um, get to really explore Deborah's evolution of this new hour that she um, is going to do, because, you know, as she said, it bombed, but there's something there. So, so her having to get on the road and kind of start back from the beginning is I think going to be a challenge. Um, and in terms of, you know, Deborah and Ava's relationship, we do of course have the email looming over Ava's head. Um, but you know, it's, it's a tough thing because you do, there is something about the natural rhythm of these two having this a little bit of a love hate kind of a thing that you want to be able to reset, but you also don't want to just be repeating the same thing over and over. So being able to give you think the same thing you want, but in a fresh new way is, is the spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're working on. (laughs) Well, you know, one thing I was, you know, obviously very curious about is the material is the new show. Have you guys talked about shooting? The, her show, her, her one woman show, and then maybe adding as a bonus episode on HBO Max. Uh, has that been discussed? I don't know, Jean, you want to do an hour long stand up special? Sure. Okay. <laughs> She's up for anything. You know, you know what we should do, Jean? We should have you go on tour too. We'll yeah. do the Deborah Vance tour. Yeah. And Hannah can open. Yeah. And I'll do a, I'll open for Hannah. I'll do it. I'll do like, you know, I'll do 15. You can uh, do a monologue, your favorite theater monologue. Oh, yeah. yeah. Packs on ice. <laughs> <laughs> you all laugh, but but I think there's a revenue stream yes. there. I think. Uh, yes. And the merch. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the merch sells it. itself. The merch and then, and then it. of course, hacks the musical with an exclamation point after the yes. exclamation point. <laughs> That's how you know it's a musical. <laughs> um, so, so much, so much merch. I mean, this is the God. beginning of, of the. Hacks Creative Universe, the HC yeah. that uh, y'all are working on. We're so. going to have a roller coaster. It's going to be insane. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, but to, but to answer your question, you know, now I'm thinking this was serious and we're doing it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> like we, we do, obviously this show is going to be a driving force of season two, but like we always talked about this show about being about these characters' lives offstage. And it's not so much what jokes they're telling, it's why they're telling these jokes specifically for yeah. Deborah. And so it's, it's certainly we will deal with the show, but we also always are trying to think more so about their lives offstage because it just feels like that's where the growth and, and, and real juicy stuff is, is lives for us. Well, one of the one of the cool things also about these these characters is, for example, uh, the uh, Ava uh, bisexuality representation uh, was really cool thing to see this season, and we see a little bit of Ava uh, in the real world. But uh, are we going to uh, see more of her sort of personal life in, in season two? And, and Hannah, are you looking forward to exploring, uh, you know, Ava's, uh, you know? life away from Deborah as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it all. And it's been done so gracefully and um, in a way that I certainly feel um, desperately uh, se- seen by in a way that I have been desperate to be seen. So it is nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Carl, what would you like to see uh, for, for Marcus in season two? I mean, uh, everything. I love, <laughs> I love the fact that 
I don't know if I, I can prescribe it because they've done such a wonderful job creating the world. What I know is that he is promoted and uh, a little bit heartbroken and taking comfort in his mother on a couch with his mother on the couch. So at some point he has to get off that couch. So I'm excited to see what he does next. Does he, you know, Patty LaBelle new attitude it? Does he dive under a rock? I don't, I, I, I do know I'd love to see more with like his mom and Lunell and whatnot and the will they won't they with, with, with Wilson. But I also am very comforted by the fact that this is not a world of my creation. So I, defer to the world makers in this in this instance but i'm I'm excited for whatever's coming up and gene what are you looking forward to uh in season two? Oh gosh i i i i mean i i have no idea what they're going to come up with but uh, i'm not worried at all but mm-hmm. uh i just you know it'll be interesting to see how now that there is a more of a comfort level between the two women in particular and a little bit of trust and and a little affection and that uh you know i i just hope that that we can keep still the um the uh what we all fell in love with at first which was the the fact that they you know were kind of from two different worlds and that those generational differences and and uh and and i love just the silly little things like 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 the scene of deborah changing her soda machine <laughs> gas canister i mean stuff like that i just love you know i love physical little bits like that you know or cutting up the fish or you know fishing and you know so having uh, we, blackjack dealer it's uh you know oh the, god yes 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 pop power plays. uh we love it well we're looking forward to season two but for now we'll celebrate go back rewatch season one if you haven't already streaming right now hbo max Gene, Hannah, Carl, Jen, Lucia, Paul, thank you so much. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Best to you uh, as the Emmy train continues. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you next time here in the streaming room. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys. Kiss, kiss. Bye. 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 See you guys. It's so nice to see you guys. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for seeing you. Something I was going to say, I forgot to say, was like, I also love the fact that Marcus and Ava are now in the Dead Dad Club. And I wonder mm-hmm. how that ebbs and flows with their relationship. The what that club? The Dead Dad Club. <gasps> oh, right. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's ended with them having a somewhat, comp- he references that's kind of recent. Now they have this common mm-hmm. bond. I wonder if that plays into their, their situationship. Well, it's interesting too because Deborah actually we 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 haven't we don't know the details yet, but Deborah lost her parents very young. Yeah, exactly. I wonder how that weaves and with Jimmy, just it's it's an interesting. It could make for an interesting happy hour with some interesting people. They're the they're all writing this down right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're taking notes. Low frame. I'm typing. I'm in final draft. It's <laughs> happening. That stars Gene Smart, Hannah Einbeiner, Carl Clemens Hopkins, and co-showrunners and executive producers Paul W. Downs, Lucia Aniello, and Jen Stotsky from Hacks, now streaming on HBO Max. After the break, it's our Emmy-nominated comedy panel. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast.
we brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Variety recently held its virtual TV fest, The Nominees, including a panel celebrating some of the top comedy contenders this Emmy season. I had a chance on this panel to chat with Courtney Lilly, who's the director, showrunner, and executive producer of Blackish. William Zabka, who's the co-executive producer and stars as Johnny Lawrence in Cobra Kai. Rosie Perez, who plays Megan Briscoe and is nominated in the supporting actress category for The Flight Attendant. Hannah Einbeiner, the supporting actress as Ava from Hacks. Paul Reiser, who plays Martin Schneider, no relation, the supporting actor from The Kaminsky Method. Debbie Liebling, who's executive producer of Pen15. And Hannah Waddingham, who's supporting actress as Rebecca Welton on Ted Lasso. I began by asking Zabka about his initial reaction to the idea of even rebooting Karate Kid as Cobra Kai. Well, it was it was as much who was pitching it as the idea. Josh Hill, John Horowitz, and Hayden Schlossberg, the, the creators of the show, emailed me out of the blue, took me to a Mexican restaurant. I had no idea what they were going to pitch me. And then they dropped Johnny Lawrence in my lap, who's been put to side for some 30 years. Uh, they had Cobra, uh, Columbia behind it, Sony behind it. Everybody had signed off. And then they they explained how they're going to dive deep into Johnny Lawrence through his eyes, where he's been over these 35 years. Uh, I was concerned about it, you know, the tone of it. It was going to be too funny. Is it going to have heart? Um, and uh, that I don't end up at the uh, some kind of provincial crane kick at the end of the whole thing, where I become really ice, really cemented in as the biggest asshole of all time. So I wanted him to have a, an arc, a redemption, heart, all those things. And they assured me that he would. And, and I think one of the biggest things in the pitch was that if Karate Kid didn't exist, this show could exist and we could call it Bad Sensei, like Bad Santa. And when they pitched it that way, I kind of understood where they were going with it. So it was kind of a toe-in thing for me, uh, having you know Johnny Lawrence come back into my... It was like an old girlfriend sitting across from me in a way, trying to get back together. And I was very reluctant and I took it hesitantly. But uh, the guys did it right. Ralph came in after that. And uh, we kind of walked it together through uh, all the pitches and all the development. And, and it, we kind of stuck the landing in the first season. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a slow burn, um, but it's been awesome. It's been awesome to, to bring this guy back out. And now he's not the same guy he was 30 years ago. He's a, he's a man like I've had 30 years of life and you know, love and heartbreak and loss and all those things that I can bring into this character and, and give him some real depth. Uh, and that's as an actor, that's the most fulfilling part of it. The fact that it's tied to Karate Kid uh, and all the nostalgia and all that is is the cherry on top for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm sure for for a lot of folks, and and a lot of you have sort of either been a part of reboots or have thought about reboots, and 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 uh, you know, Paul, including you, um, you know, sort of there there is that you know, do I want to revisit this? Is there still something to say? And then it it sort of it must have been so comforting in a way also to sort of come back and, and, and maybe, you know, say things that you weren't able to say back in the day. So Rosie, let's talk about you because 
uh, you know, this this show, Flight Attendant, uh, is, is is such a fun cat and mouse game. There's and and there's so many opportunities for your character, especially I think in season two, which we'll we'll talk about in a bit, to to really sort of jump into some of the mysteries of, of what she's been up to. But what were your first impressions when you first read the script and and uh, were approached about joining the show? Um. Well, I. Well. I, I, everybody knows now I, I was so stupid to turn it down first and because um, I don't like flying. Um, but uh, it was a real challenge and it was really, it was really just a gift, really, because um, there was only one line to describe Megan. And um, all they said to me was she has a big secret and they wouldn't tell me the secret. And that's hard to play. And so basically I had to come up with a character and just develop it and along with the executive producers and working on this show was so different in the sense that I had so much support. The executive producers, the writers, everybody was just so fantastic. Kaylee was amazing. And, you know, any idea they were like, okay, let's explore it. And, and, and so it was really for an actor, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but that's like, that's amazing. You know, it's amazing to walk into a, a situation like that. Um, and all that said, it was also terrifying because it's now I had to like put up a shut up. <laughs> and, and um, you know, but I was in good hands and, and it was really nice to really try something different. And, and we didn't know if, the show was going to be a hit or not because HBO Max was so new. And, um, you know, even Kaylee, you know, was going, oh, no. But then when COVID happened, she goes, oh, this is good. Everyone's going to stay home. They're going to watch. <laughs> and um, so I don't know if I answered your question. I'm nervous. I, I love everybody that's on this thing. I swear to God, I'm so nervous. I can't stand it. And, uh, man, and the Karate Kid reboot, I'm a fight fan. I'm telling you, I mean, you kick ass. No pun intended. I'm serious. It's just all <laughs> rise to talk about Icon and just everybody. And Hannah, I love you on Ted Lasso. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but this is great. This is <laughs> no, I'm so, can I just say I'm so glad you said that because I've been quietly trying to keep my shit together, fangirling like a lunatic. <laughs> what i mean what a great group all of you like i, I love that you're all fans of each other as well May i say what i love most yes, rosie, Paul. Perez, rosie perez talks exactly like rosie perez that makes me so happy right? oh i was afraid it was suddenly going to come out you know like you know the the duchess of windsor or something like oh that's what really oh i love this right right i mean it's We've been watching so many of you for so long. It's just so <laughs> fun to, to see see you all interact with each other too. And, and Rosie, at least you didn't have to actually shoot any flight attendant on a plane, like in the sky, right? So you're you're okay there. And and you were in good hands with Kaylee as a executive producer. Uh, you know, as an actor, she also sort of I'm sure you know knew a, a little more of of sort of how to make you feel comfortable and and really you know, enjoy the process. So I'm sure that was, that was great as well. It, it was great as well. And I think it's that we were both extremely excited and nervous and that we both were at a point in our careers that we could admit that to one another. And, and that was a comfort as well and, a, and an asset. And so she was amazing. She really was. And she has a great work ethic. And I love that. I like to work hard, you know, so 
was good. And and so Paul Reiser and, and I've asked you this before, but uh, you know the idea of coming on Kaminsky and they say, okay, we want you on, but we we want you bald, we want you with a gray ponytail, um, and uh, and and we're not going to be sure at first if we like this guy or not, or if you know if he's good for uh, you know Sandy's daughter. Uh, you know what were some what were your some of your thoughts in, in joining Kaminsky? My first thought was, and they said, we want you bald and 20 pounds heavier. I said, just wait three months because we're heading there. Just be patient and I'll save you some money. Um, but uh, that was actually all Chuck had it all from the beginning. He said, we're going to pad you. And then the ponytail was the, was, was the genius stroke, which was like does all the acting for you. I've never, like I didn't have to act. I just look in the mirror and went, oh, this guy, okay. <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was a joy, you know. And and as I was saying, when you come in and the production top to bottom is supportive and great at their job, that's just such a joy. You're not you're not swimming upstream. You're just joining the joining the flow. And so in this particular show, Chuck Laurie, there's nobody better or funnier. And you have Michael Douglas and, and Alan Arkin in, in the beginning, and in this cast and the crew, and everyone just and you don't have you know an episodic TV and. <laughs> I'm sure you all know this, but you're often, you're busy working on this week's script and you're going, oh, I hope next week doesn't suck. And you just, and you get there and you've and you're always chasing your tail. And in this new world where you can make six shows and you have 18 months to do it, like, oh, this is piece of cake. And uh, so to show up and scripts are done and they're perfect and everybody's great, you just go, my job is just not to stink up the joint. Just get in there and have fun. Do your thing. Do your thing. Well, Hannah W., I'm going to go by, it's going to be like grade school, or I'll just... I was going to say, it's literally like being at school. I love it. <laughs> so Hannah W., um, it, you, you must now obviously just be you know over the moon with the, the reaction uh, for Ted Lasso. And, and you know so much has been about just the right show at the right time. This is the salve that we needed. It's just you know a, a show that really celebrates goodness in people. Um, when you first looked at the show, when you first started talking to Jason and Bill, um, and, and they sort of gave you this this pitch of, you know, this is what we want to do. This is the the audacious idea we have for Ted Lasso. What were your thoughts? Well, if you bear in mind that when I first went in for it, I was only sent just the sides of Rebecca. So not even the pilot. I had no idea of the trajectory of Rebecca. I had no idea of the general vibe of the show. So that was quite startling and exciting for me when I could see week on week how how it was growing and moving and shifting. But there was something about that first pilot episode in the scene when she says about what she wants to do to her ex-husband with the rusty splintered cricket bat, that I just thought this writing is just so clever because in the moment that you think that she is one thing, you are given the chance to glimpse through the undergrowth, her hurt and her vulnerability, and that if anybody even slightly pressed on her, she'd shatter. And I was so struck by the fact that even though it is a, a comedy series, there is no stone unturned in terms of seeing people's light and shade across the board. And I think when you have a company of players like we have, where nobody thinks they're more important than anyone else, and that's a hard thing. Like Paul was just saying just now, 
it doesn't always work like that. But when it does, it's absolute perfect alchemy. And so after that, that first read through we had, I was I was just a bit overwhelmed with what I realized I was part of and the privilege of it. Yeah, yeah. And I bet Hannah E, maybe you were kind of feeling the same way with with the uh, hacks, you know, some more great writing and, uh, you know, the, this star power, of course, starting with Gene Smart. But uh, I'm sure you sort of had a, a similar feeling when you sort of first got involved with the show. Right on. You're right on. I got the sides as well. And when I read Ava's joke about killing herself on Watch What Happens Live, I said, OK, I'm in. You know, I feel that. I'm yeah. with your sister. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was like truly, I got the sides when I, my background is in stand up comedy. And obviously, that was like not a thing that we can do, could do at the start of the, the pandemic. And so I sort of read the character description for a, you know, 25 year old bisexual out of work comedian. And I said, you know, yeah, yeah. This speaks to me. yeah, I get that. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so it just was in addition to, you know, the high stakes and the great writing and a lot of the heart and, you know, that shines through pretty much immediately from the first moments we see Deborah and the, the broad city trio, you know, Paul, Lucia and Jen just being so, so cool. And their work meaning so much to me already. I just was like, I can't wait to see this show when I, when it comes out and I'm not in it, but when it comes out, it's going to be my favorite show, you know? <laughs> so, um, Oh yeah, it was an instant connection because you know, like comedy is a love language, and I I feel like it was um, there was like a connection just reading it, knowing that they come from sort of like that same background as as me, like live performance and stuff like that. So, God, what a gift! The reason why all of these shows work is that they've got such strong voices, such unique point of views. There, there's just something to them, and Debbie. You know, when, when I first heard the idea of, of Maya and Anna doing Pen15 and playing 13-year-old versions of, of themselves, like, genius. Like, but I, I can't wait to see that. Debbie talked about that, that initial pitch when when those two first sort of came up with the idea. What were your thoughts? And, and yeah, how well, did you own, own I think we them? all weren't sure. You know, I think we we knew it could work, but we weren't sure if it would work. And I think... Um, it was sort of one of those, let's roll the dice on this because they had done a, a short that um, was much more, I think, like a sketch than what the heart and the depth that ha that the show explores. And so there was some skepticism about whether it could be a show, whether it could be ongoing, whether it could be half hour because it was maybe a sh too much of a shtick. Um, but after... Um, but Hulu, bless them, took a chance. And um, we wrote a few, you know, got the, a couple of scripts written, proved that there would, could be more to it. And Anna and, and Maya and Sam, I mean, they really have a, an emotional sense memory of that time in their life that is, I, it's incredible that they are as in touch with it as they are. And so delicately. Um, but the other thing that was really fun was as the first season was kind of coming together, every single person on the crew 
everybody, we all had middle school stories. People started bringing their journals in. People started just talking about the cringiest, most horrible moments of their lives. And the universality of it was so apparent that um, we all, all of us have our stories um, molded into this show. And I think, I think we were very lucky that we got a chance to try it because I don't think we thought it was special and we thought it was cool, but we didn't know it was going to resonate at the level that it did. And that was a really exciting, wonderful thing to see how many people are carrying around that, that wounded 13 year old, no matter how old you are. Um, there you go. <laughs> so, um, and uh, yeah. And, and I think their, their willingness to, go be more surreal and to go toward, you know, things that aren't traditional. I mean, we just really have this, this palette that we could put anything in it. And so the nostalgia was sort of what the hook was season one, but then season two, it really got much, we got past that and was much more about life and how do you navigate life when you have the maturity of a 12 or 13 year old. Right, right, right. Which is, pretty relatable to all of us even now. <laughs> and, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously speaking of, you know, stories that are really personal and 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 really sort of, you know, dive into the universality of it as well. Uh, you know, Courtney, you know, Blackish has been on the air now since 2014. So, you know, go back to the beginning when you were talking to Kenya at the start of of this and and sort of the the grand plan for Blackish and and how it played out and how it sort of you know, played out maybe even better than you ever expected and resonated even more? Or, you know, what were sort of those early day feelings and, and conversations like on that, on, on your show? I was lucky because I actually started on the show Labor Day of 2014. So then I already started this uh, writing episodes in the summer before I got there. And so there's always this nervousness, especially when a show is getting ready to, to debut, you know, people don't know what to expect. And as an outside observer with no stakes really in it, I was able to see what they had done. I'm like, you guys are fine. Don't worry about this. There's nothing to worry about. Cause it's like, you had Anthony, you had Lawrence, you had Tracy. It was just, it was a solid show. They'd done the work that needed to be done. And, you know, I think a lot of, like a lot of shows that come out of the gates and, and kind of hit the rhythms pretty quickly, you know, there was a chemistry to it. So I was able to kind of see that. And hopefully I was able to calm some nerves and anxieties until the, till we debuted and people were able to get their arms around it and see what we could do. But uh, yeah, I was, I was incredibly lucky because I could just sit back there and say, yeah, you guys are, you guys are doing all right. Just keep going, doing what you're doing. Cause it was, yeah, it was already there. Yeah. And, and then, you know, like Debbie was saying, as once you sort of establish a show that gives you the, a little more license to do some unique things. And, and, you know, obviously Blackish has done so many unique things over the years. Uh, you know, the Juneteenth episode, I mean, so much that comes to mind uh, that you've been able to play with the form. And, and that's, that, that must be sort of nice to be at that point where you, you sort of have permission to, to, to do that. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause like, again, we're in our last season now and I was talking about it with my assistant yesterday. I, I feel very lucky to be where we are. I think like, we hit the ground running pretty quickly. There was an acceptance of what the show was. I think we knew what we were doing kind of quickly. It fell into place easily. So then we could kind of start to break the form in a way. And by season two, Kenya wrote his episode about police brutality, hope, and things started to open up and people kind of expected us to be able to deal with certain issues and things in a way. And I think that's what 
we're known for a lot, but we also, you know, we're an old school network sitcom. We do 24, 22 episodes a season. So last year we had one where, you know, Dre and Bo got in a foot race, you know, we can just have fun, funny episodes. And I think for me, why I feel so fortunate in this is like now we're at a place where um, I can just kind of sit there and have an idea and say, hey, we, wouldn't it be funny if this thing happened to this family or this is something I'm thinking about um, and have incredibly talented people and the support of a studio and a network and we can make a version of it. And I don't know, like, again, look, this is our last season. I don't know if I'm going to have that again in my career. I just don't, you know, like and, and be able to play it out like that. So for us, to, for me personally, to spend the last two years running a show like this and now this eighth season be able to do that. And I think all of us as a, you know, the cast who's working right now, shooting it, we're all very fortunate and we're, we're just very grateful to be in this position to kind of do things uh, again in a, in a, in a landscape that's incredibly changing for us to be a network show and just try some stuff, have some fun and tell stories that we didn't know that necessarily there'd be quite the audience for it. It's, it just feels very, very fortunate, you know? Yeah, to, to do 22, 24 episodes in this day and age, I think that, that would give a lot of it's a heart attack at this point. That's just. Can, can it, I ask? I'm curious, Tony, yeah. do you have, going into this last season, do you have things in your creative bucket list, like, I want to do this episode, I want to do this story that you've been sitting on? Couldn't do. There's nothing that we'd really been sitting on. We didn't know that we were going to be, we thought there was a chance season seven might have been the last season. So we were starting to work toward an end game last year. And now we know we have 13 episodes to move toward a thing. And like, look, I keep saying we're not Game of Thrones. We're not Breaking Bad. We're not The Sopranos. We don't have to hit some sort of crescendo. We just really need to give people 13 episodes with this family that they enjoy. But there are some things that were kind of like, you know, it's like this is a story about a family who, you know, really started in 2014 in a different world, in a different landscape. It was the end of the Obama presidency and for black families that meant one thing. And we've gone through a lot in the last eight years. And how has this family changed from having young children who were, you know, preteens to now having, you know, two kids out of the house? And so I think we're kind of figuring out where this family is and what their next phase of life would look like and trying to drop as many hints into where that version of the world would be for them as possible. But again, we're also going to see if we can have some more episodes that are like foot races, you know, where we're at 13, all of a sudden, like Michael Smith, it's interesting. All of a sudden 13 felt like it's like, hey, we can do this on our heads, but then all of a sudden you're like, that's not a lot. We need to, we need to be very economical because it, it goes by really fast. You know, we're going to literally read our seventh script table read our seventh script by the end of this month and that's halfway through the season so it's uh you know it's a challenge it's interesting for all of us we but we just really want to give people 13 more episodes with a family they hope they've been enjoying you know yeah and you've you've been able to evolve these these characters over the years like you mentioned uh, you know change jobs get promotions the kids have grown up so so there was there's a lot to sort of play with there um and uh you know some of you are on younger shows and you're just sort of starting to see the evolution of, of these characters. Uh, I mean, Rosie, um, you know, your character ended on a cliffhanger uh, at the end of season one and, and she could go in a very different direction season two, kind of on the lamb now. I and mean, there's a lot that I'm sure you're kind of looking forward to, uh, you know, is that, is, 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 is there sort of like there was a patience in, in season one, knowing that things are going to go a little haywire for, for your, for your character? And, and uh, what are you sort of excited about in where this might go? Um, I didn't know where my character was going to go uh, until um, we started, until we started getting on to um, episode five. So um, that was pretty exciting for me. And uh, 
it's what I'm hoping for season two is to, when I said I wanted to create uh, Megan in the place where she's at in the sense of her age as a woman. And I said, she, if she's this age, she's menopausal, let's bring that in. And I really started to explore my own hangups about menopause and my own insecurities and everything like that. And I started looking at some of my friends they remain nameless, but you know they're having midlife crisis because they're not happy where they are, and you know they're fifty and they're like, "What the heck happened?" And so that's what I'm hoping for Megan in season two, where she didn't realize she was having a midlife crisis, and for next season, it's everything kind of blew up in her face. Um, so now she has to kind of face the music and say, what happened? What did I do? You know, and, and get control of her hormones, <laughs> you know, and, and, and be responsible. But I think the best thing, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with Megan, but I really hope that the main focus uh, for her is not only her own self-growth, but also her trying to correct a lot of mistakes she made with her family you know, um, because that's what she she took for granted um, uh, was a, a great husband, a wonderful son, you know, and, and all her focus was mainly on Megan. I mean, excuse me, um, Cassie um, and, um, and making Megan as excited at, exciting as Cassie in her own mind. So that's where I, I, I want her to come full circle and I don't want it to be easy for her either. Yeah, no, I don't think it will be, but that that's what's going to make for a fun season two. Um, w- William, that kind of sounds a lot like Johnny Lawrence, sort of his his sort of his his journey. And and you know, Johnny sort of stopped in 1990 and never really grew beyond that. And and suddenly he wakes up and it's it's 2020. And what does he have to show for himself? And and you know, it's been so interesting to watch his evolution. Uh, he jumps ahead two steps, but then falls back again, makes the same mistakes, trying to grow. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he sort of is at this point now where, you know, he, he wants to atone for, for some of what he's done. And he's even now going to partner with his old rival to sort of fix some of those things. Such a fun trajectory for, for Johnny. What's sort of been your take on all that? Yeah, sure. He's um he's an artifact for sure of the 80s. He's he's frozen in time in many ways, arrested development from a certain period. What's great about the character that was in the Karate Kid even was his first line in the movie. My first line ever saying anything on screen was I have one year to make it work and that's what I'm going to do, make it work. And he still never made it work in these 35 years. So he's he's stuck and he's but this character was so great to play about as an actor is he's here's a great kid, a great soul that was downloaded a program into him called Cobra Kai from a, a very bad teacher. And it goes against his very nature. So he really has a, a heart of gold, but everything he knows, his toolbox is very limited. He's aggressive. He doesn't, and he's fighting through that. So, so he's, he's, and he's failing in, in spite of himself and he's falling forward constantly. And he's a little blind to all these things. There's something really refreshing also about playing I lived through the, you know, there's this episode where Johnny discovers the internet and and, and what's Wi-Fi and all that. We all lived through that here, I think. So, uh, you know, it's fun to go and play that and, and, and put it in today where everything is online. Everything's in your face. It's great. It's really refreshing to play somebody from that time because that time was very simple. Um, 
and then trying to catch up and progress and move forward. Um, so yeah, he's in a way his own worst enemy, um, which is great. I mean, I think all of us here, I think what's so great. I mean, there's a time like right now I've been, I've been at this since I was in SAG in 1979, you know, I auditioned for white man can't jump Rosie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how far back I go, you know? Uh, so, you know, when lightning strikes and you get, you get a, a great team and a great vision um, and very talented writers that, that, that write for us as the, as the instruments, um, it's a very, like Paul was saying, it's a very secure feeling to know that you have this, this machine around you and you can literally dive in and live in these moments and not look forward and not look back and exist in that and, and pour your heart into it. And for me playing this character, it, it's been very, very painful because I would hope that he landed on his feet in a different way. Um, my imagination of who Johnny Lawrence would be today is a lot different than what these guys did on uh, season one there was a scene that where I, I brought it up to all the producers, Johnny wouldn't do, Johnny wouldn't say this. And I got shot down by the producers, every single EP, all the producers. I was like, wow, I'm the only guy here. And I'm playing the character that isn't seeing this the same. And I went home and I took a shower and I literally surrendered the character. I said, he's not mine anymore. He's, he's in their hands. And I have to, to do that. And, and when you're in a, when you're in great hands, you know, from the writing to the edit room um, to the studio and all that support, um, it's a sweet spot. It's so rare. I mean, it's such, it's so great. We're so blessed really all of us to be in this moment of time right here. And I'm just, I'm just thankful to be part of all you guys. And thank you for including me in this. Uh, but, uh, but Johnny, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great, exciting time um, to get to do this, you know, for me and my career. One of the things I love that they've done with the show is is early on they 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 went to the vaults and they found some old footage from the original Friday Kid movie and found yeah. different camera angles that showed Johnny in a different light and, and that must have been fun also to sort of see your, the younger version of yourself uh, sort of you know in, in a different way than perhaps people had. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a mirror they shine in your, you know, they remember. Um, but uh, it's great. It's you know, it took me a long time to watch the Karate Kid. In fact, I just showed my kids the eleven and seven. The first they just saw it last week for the first time. It's taken me a long time to watch that movie and see Johnny as the bad guy. Um, it's like, oh, I get it. I'm objectively get the movie now. Yeah, he was kind of a prick, you know, like because I love that character, you know. So it's fun to see. It's fun to see flashes and all the archive footage they put out and all the stuff that John Avildsen had somewhere in on the Sony lot. And these producers went through and dug through it, pulled these pieces up and play into that. Yeah, it's a little weird, you know. You got a you got a clip of yourself from 1984, and then you come back to the screen, you know, when I'm like what six, you know, 35 now, something like that. You know, it's, it's great. You know, it's like so hard really quick. It's so hard to get like, I'm so like that light's too hard. And I look like shit. And, you know, like, right, like, can I, you know, can you get the bags out? Why, you know, you just, you're so self-conscious. And like, I am, I'm like, I see Johnny a different way. Then it comes out and it, you know, it's actually great because it's a character. It's like, it's not, it's not you. It's like, it's so great. So I, I've really surrendered so much to the show, to, to how he looks, how he feels, how he, all that stuff. Um, and that's well no i was to i was telling somebody somebody asked me what's it like to you know play this guy i said it was such a relief to take vanity off the table yeah i went because you suddenly i'm in wardrobe i'm going does this shirt make me look fat yes <laughs> of course that's the purpose <laughs> look at you it's so freeing isn't it and you just take that away and you go, I don't even need to look in America because I'd rather not know. 
And yeah. you just and and then and actually fed the characters like he's oblivious. But as an actor, you're right. You have all those thoughts. Like, can you get the light? You don't need to look good. Forget that. I you like, can fall asleep in your trailer for hours and yes. come out. They just that like that ship has off. sailed. The, the one where you're going to look good. That's gone. Yeah. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite moments of Kaminsky this season is, of course, the scene where your character is on the couch watching Diner and. We see a flash of Paul Reiser in diner on the screen. Watching Karate Kid. That's what's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, but it was such, it was so far gone. You know, that's 40 years ago and I'm playing 10 years older or whatever. So it wasn't even like, well, now I'm confused. That's the same guy. No, they're so not the same. I mean, I was a puppy. I was seven years old when I made that. But I did love the, the meta-ness of it. And it sort of speaks to, I mean, Kaminsky is all about aging and, and you know, the process of, you know, these characters and, and sort of, you know, how they're accepting aging and, and what it means to them. Yeah, well, that was, that, that's the fun of that show is he dives right into what does it feel like to be older and to see friend, your best friend die and so on. But, you know, it's never not a shock when you do the math. You know, we were on the set and Barry, that was my first job was Diner. And so I'm watching... And Barry Levinson, who, that was his first film, Diner. And so we're on the set and we're talking. And someone said, how long ago? I said, that's 40 years ago. Went, Fuck. 40? How? That's, you know, it's like, there's no getting around it. I can look and do the math. But When you said the 90s astounding. were 30 years ago, I was like, wait, no, someone's got that wrong. Yeah, right. Well, it's just, I think we're all stuck back then, if we're honest. We all look we're great. Stuck. We're stuck all... this, it? Yeah. <laughs> In our heads, we're still all 20. At least I am, any 28. <laughs> Y'all look great. Y'all look great. Um, Hannah W., um, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Rebecca, uh, because, you know, speaking of sort of watching that character, when we first meet her, of course, you know, we sort of see her as as the villain, you know, the person who is sort of, you know, trying to block Ted Lasso from from, you know, doing whatever it is he was brought here to do. But then things evolve over time. And, and that was one of the, the the fun parts of the show is realizing, oh, the, Ted Lasso isn't just going for the cliche. Uh, this is this is a show that's trying to do something different. And, you know, and, and now, you know, we're sort of seeing that in season two as well. Very different dynamic between Rebecca and, and Ted. And, and, and then, of course, there's that relationship between Rebecca and Keeley, uh, that is, you know, such a fun, strong, uh, you know, female relationship where they're lifting up each other. Um, you know, sort of talk about that evolution of of how we saw Rebecca and your take on on the character. Um, well, one thing, my biggest thing with her was, I kind of had a similar situation to Hannah, Hannah E. Um, in that thing of, you know, going for the meeting for it and then just thinking, do you know what? This is great. Whoever gets this, they're going to have a great time. So once I'd got over that initial shock of getting the role, I realized how much responsibility I had taking on a role of a woman in her mid-40s, divorcee, who was riddled with bitterness and upset and scars and trying to not make her come across as this one-dimensional Darth Vader, everyone's wrong um, character. And, and so I, I was kind of 
aware that I, I had to to bring along her her softness and her fragility as well. But I'm finding now the trends, I found rather, the transition from season one to season two, I missed at first the brilliant attrition that they had written between Rebecca and you say Ted, but in her eyes, it could have been anyone. It was whatever goofball she was bringing over from America to help sabotage that which her ex-husband had so lovingly put together. So there was the attrition with him. There was the attrition with Jeremy Swift's character, Higgins. And to a point, actually, at times there was attrition with Keeley. And it's finding the way of, of keeping her bristle and her froideur, but letting her enjoy them as her kind of newfound family that's been the kind of struggle with me, trying to trying to move her on, but still with an acknowledgement of the pain that she feels. And the one thing that I was worried about starting episode one of season two was I didn't want her, because we're about five or six months on from the end of her kind of epiphany about the people who she should care about. So going into that, I just thought, okay, well, I hope they haven't made her so well-rounded and ready to be dating and have everything sorted out, sussed out. I love the fact that they've made her absolutely the figurehead and the tigress of that team. And she she will absolutely fall on her sword for her boys in that team. But in every other sense, especially with men, she's an absolute hot mess. <laughs> so I've enjoyed kind of taking that on board. And I, I do feel the responsibility for women and men of a certain age, all of us who are going through that thing of finding your next partner or where you sit in the mix with all your friends when you're a single person. I've loved taking that on. Yeah, and, and uh, Hannah E., there's, there's sort of a similarity in, in, in the evolution of, of Ava and her relationship with Deborah on the show in that she slowly starts to appreciate and, and respect Deborah in a way that maybe she didn't in the beginning and vice versa, Deborah with, with uh, Ava. But yeah, it's it's a process and they're not there yet. And it's going to take a while for, for them to get there. Um, what's sort of your sense of that evolution and that dynamic? And, and you know, do you ever want it to get to a fine place? Or is there something fun in, in sort of seeing the, the tension that comes with that relationship that's sort of a little mentor-mentee, a little mother-daughter, a little friend, but it's still very complicated between these two characters. Yeah, and I, I think it's a little bit of a, a, a mirror. You know, they have uh, a lot of their sort of um, flaws are are coming from a, a similar place. You know, these are walls that they have both had to put up, um, you know, for various reasons. And And looking at these women like, you know, especially looking, looking at Ava, it has, you know, it is, it is a, an, it, it is a, it is a challenge to um, it play a, a flawed character who actively makes um, bad decisions, immoral decisions and be in a body like mine or, you know, be in a quote unquote, you know, cis female uh, body because the, the standards are so much, so much higher, you know, you have to really dig deep to, I've been internal, you know, examined a lot of my own internalized misogyny through playing Ava because I cannot, you know, judge her. Like that was so, so that was such a challenge in and of itself and taught me so much. 
Um, but you know, that growth between Deborah and Ava, you know, it, it's not something that I expect to happen overnight because in the case of, you know, Deborah, this is decades of, of really, really, um, deep, deep wounds that she's having to kind of see, and she's not doing it in, you know, therapy, she's doing it through this relationship and sort of seeing her, they see themselves in one another. So, you know, I, I do hope that we get to a point where they're, you know, maybe it's one step forward, one step back, as opposed to one step forward, three to nine steps back, you know? Um, but it's, it, it's a, it's a, a really exciting, really exciting relationship and a really exciting, you know, journey for them. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot, a lot to look forward to. So let's go around the room now as we sort of end our conversation and uh, wanted to sort of uh, have you all pick out uh, either a, a scene, a moment, something that happened on your show this past season that you're, you're proud of that you think, oh, people should take another look at. Uh, Debbie, why don't we start with you? Um, some, some, uh, Fun stuff on Pen Fifteen this season. I was especially intrigued by the the third wheel, the uh, the, the the friend who sort of suddenly weasels her way in. Because again, oh, that yeah, the of, of moments I had as a teen and and that that awkwardness of it all. But uh, yeah, what were some of your uh, your your favorite moments from Pen? Yeah, 15? well, that is such a everybody has that story when someone gets between you and your best friend and how and how how the uh, allegiances go, but. For me, because the the series is really a love story between two best friends and that sort of uh, that that bond that is more important almost than anything in the world, they are each other's lifeline. I think the episode that made me laugh the most and moved me the most was the third episode of the uh, where they practice witchcraft and um, they are trying to put love spells and Anna's trying to fix her parents and they're, they're literally practicing witchcraft to try to make their lives better. And the scene at the end um, where the two of them run out because Anna's parents are fighting and they just run back to the place where uh, this sort of magical tree and just hold each other and cry and just love each other so completely even with all of the stuff that you're laughing at, I think that that episode to me just really spoke volumes for the friendship and what the show is ultimately about. But there yeah. are so many because the play, I mean, who could argue with that play and Maya doing her um, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor impression. I mean, it was really, you know, so there's great, great moments. But I think for me, that was, that represented the, the love story that the show is about. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. The, the business card that they find that uh, sort of represents the the Wiccan uh, <laughs> idol. <Correct. laughs> um, Courtney, uh, obviously this year um, there there was a lot to tackle, um, and and Blackish is never shy in in sort of tackling some some of the issues of our day uh, in in terms of COVID, in in terms of uh, the you know. Uh, police brutality and, and violence against blacks. Um, there, there was a lot to sort of, you know, touch on in addition to a foot race episode. So you, you, you had a lot to sort of uh, do this year. What were some of your sort of memorable moments? It's interesting. There's two uh, selfishly, I will say, and I think 
probably everybody on this panel can agree in a way. Last year was so extraordinary because of the pandemic. And as much as we were making television for uh, the world to have something to distract them, very much on the ground, we had, you know, cast, crew, entire teams, production staff, the people who were who were working in, under extraordinary conditions. No, we've never seen anything like that. So for me, the entire season is a testament to the work that our team put together, a team of that worked together for seven years and really worked up a way to trust each other. Because, uh, and again, I don't know how that, I mean, again, everybody has their own stories. I was so proud of the, our team for putting that season together. Um, we were one of the first shows to go back up in August, we didn't know what we were getting into, and we just communicated our way through it. Um, and uh, that is the thing I'm most proud of, is that we we had a season seven, to be honest, you know, and that we were able to to get it done. And, uh, and people felt like, you know, they were able to provide for their families, they were able to have a distraction, they were able to perform their art and be creative. So like, honestly, that's the, the top level of things. Everything else is gravy on top of that. And um, for me personally, there was a, uh, there was a tag we did at the end of one of the episodes. I can't even remember what it was called or what it was about necessarily. But uh, uh, Beyonce's song, Me, Myself, and I, is my favorite Beyonce song. And we just had a tag that Michael uh, Spiller, director, shot where Junior and Dre, uh, it's both of their favorite Beyonce song. And they both realized that they're listening to it at the same time and then won't acknowledge each other when they bump into each other in headphones and listen to it. That was just fun. That was one of the things, like, I sit there and I'm like, I don't know if I'll be able to do this again on any other kind of show. Uh, and we'd earned that moment to be able to do something that was fun and personal and funny and was interesting. Um, but, you know, that was a moment that that stood out for me. But uh, really, it was all about the cast and crew and everybody getting through it. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I love those moments of joy. Um, Rosie, was there sort of a particular moment uh, that that sort of sticks out for you in, in season one of Flight Attendant? Um, it was episode eight. Um, but to explain that, I have to jump to episode one, uh, when all the flight attendants are in the galley preparing for takeoff. Um, the director, Susanna Fogel, who was amazing, um, she said, your back is turned to the camera. And I said, yeah. She said, we can't see you. I said, yes. And she said, what? And I said, Megan, I want Megan to be invisible and I want to feel that so that I'm yearning to be part of the conversation. And, and I said, because I'm the oldest person here, even though I'm in charge, it seems that Cassie's in charge. So it's kind of like she wants to jump into the um, conversation as to opposed to being part of the conversation. And, and to my surprise, when I read episode eight, the writers were listening and they incorporated that. Um, and it's the scene in episode eight where I'm sitting on the bed in the hotel room with Cassie, Kaylee Quokel's, um character. And we both finally drop all our pretenses and facades and just show each other who we really are. And the line is, you know, I'm invisible. And, you know, Cassie says, no, you're not. And I said, it's true. You know, where she has a reckoning of, you know, how, how she fits into the world and how the world sees her. And even when I was about to do that scene, Kaylee kept going, stop it. Cause like the tears were already coming. 
<laughs> you know, and she's like, you're going to make me crack. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I was just in a weird way. I was so Megan that day. I was so inter and, and throughout the whole season, I, my, I drove my husband crazy because I was Megan, you know, and, um, and that at that point, Megan was able to tell her truth and not everybody gets to do that in life. And so that was, that's a special moment. So I hope people like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, throughout the the season, you know, Cassie's having this big drama and she's too busy to notice that her friend is, is struggling and, and uh, yeah, yeah. Great moment. Uh, William, there was a lot going on this season. How do you pick a moment? John, uh, see, man, season three, Johnny is beat up. He's, he's in the bottle. Um, I think halfway through when he's been teaching this kid for, two and a half seasons. Now the kid is injured as a, as a result of some of his teaching, he feels very responsible. Um, and, but he's trying to rehabilitate the kid, but he's lost his teeth. He's lost his, his power. And as he's trying to <laughs> pull this kid up uh, to stand on his feet, he's now paralyzed and trying to use this hoister to hoist him up and delivering him. And then and miraculously he's going to stand up. And in the middle of that, that moment, they start talking about girls and this, the relationships and, and um, and then Miguel bites at Johnny and says, you know, you're you're a pussy. You, you 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 gave up and he gives everything back that Johnny gave to Miguel. Miguel gives back to Johnny at that moment. And at the same moment, there's Miguel standing on his feet for the first time. And that was that was a really awesome moment to play and, and to watch. And then real quick, the, the very ending it's accumulation of Johnny and Daniel who bowed in the Karate Kid now coming together, um, playing that where. Johnny and Daniel put their hatchet to the side and their differences and, and they, and they join sides having a common enemy now, although they have a long road ahead. Um, that moment was incredible to play, but to watch, I think that was the goosebump moment for me um, watching the show, being surprised how well that played in light of everything that came before that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I love that the Johnny moment where he thinks like the eighties uh, swimsuit model magazine is going to be what gets this kid to stand up if he holds it over him. <laughs> Right, right. Um, Paul, one of the things about your character, Martin, is is once we meet his mom, we realize, wow, this guy is much more like healthy and, and well balanced than he should be, considering what he had to go through. <laughs> yeah, they they teed up uh, Christian Ebersole. At a certain point, I said, "There aren't who's going to. There's nobody old enough to actually be this guy's mother. Who are you getting?" And they brilliant, uh, you know, uh, they got Christine Ebersole and they did her makeup, made her 90 or whatever. And she was awfully funny. Um, and, I, I, you know, the, I would say to, to the question, the, the moment, the thing that was most fun for me to play in that whole season was there was a scene, like a five-page scene another with Michael Douglas uh, and myself in a car. And I love those scenes. Which, there's no staging, there's nothing but actors and words and 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 in that compressed space you see and especially in that scene where i'm asking him for help and he knows exactly what i'm asking but he doesn't want to say it and he's the one that poisoned his daughter against me but i don't understand and so there are all these cross currents that the audience can see but i couldn't see my cat so i love that thing but there's a moment that to me encapsulates encapsulates the whole season and the series really where the very last episode, Michael Douglas's character, who's never, you know, who's given up on his dream to be an actor and is now an acting coach, 
gets this movie and gets accolades and here and and I had never really seen that played uh, that written before where you get you, you you make peace with your life and then the thing that you wanted for so long and you gave up on comes back and you go well now what do I what and there's this beautiful moment he's standing at you know early dawn he's standing on Sunset Boulevard looking at his billboard on the phone with his ex Kathleen Turner and she says you're looking at the billboard aren't you yeah, he goes, I, I don't know what to do with all this. What do I do with that? It comes now. And she says, enjoy it. He went, no, I don't think that's it. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. How do you process that? And I thought it was a beautiful thing because it wasn't really ultimately about actors and getting a job. It was about life and, and that there are surprises. And pay attention because you could be well into your 70s and 80s and something comes and makes sense. And you go, oh. My life makes sense now. So I thought that was beautiful writing and a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Great way to end the show. And and Hannah E., you're up. Yeah. Um, I think there the the moment that um comes to mind is in episode 10, um when Ava and Deborah are kind of having an all-out fight. Um it is. It was so hard to shoot because after episode seven, when Ava and Deborah kissed, the entire relationship, even though that was a dream, the entire relationship to me, like I had, I kind of realized that it was. And I talked to Lucia, our director um, and creator, about this, and she was like, "Yeah, like this is kind of, this was kind of like the undertone the entire time." Um, the entire relationship was kind of tracked like a rom-com. Like it really was that thing of, you know, seeing them break up, even if they do, you know, resolve it, like reading that bit, you know, of reading it at first in the table read and just sobbing and being, you know, mourning this relationship and seeing these two people who are just so hurt and so angry and, you know, just going right back to the place that they were at the first moment they met, just this really combative, sort of toxic, like really brutal um, place, these people who, and, you know, I'm looking at Jean and I love, you know, I love her and feel close to her. Oh, I'm, I'm going, I'm going y'all. It was so, it was so hard not, not to just, you know, like they're shooting on Jean and I'm just sobbing because, you know, watching, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> you know, All of us get it. You know. All of us get it. It's just, you get, <laughs> you get so close to these people and. It's true. Oh, watching them, watching them break up and watching them you know, throw away all of this progress and all of this closeness, these people who only really have each other. Oh, it was so brutal. And, you know, that, that moment was so, so hard because I'm doing it. And then I'm like outside my body going, what are you doing? You can't let this happen right now. So God, it just like still, I think about that and just, you know, yeah, it's, it kills it's, me. 
Yeah. It's a stunning moment because it starts, it, it should be the celebratory moment. And, you know, Ava has this gift for her and, and she, and, and Deborah's about to go on stage and then it just goes south and you're right. And then it's sort of everything that they've just gone through over 10 episodes. Wow. Like you're just back at square one. We'll see you in season two, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but that's, that's why we can't wait for season two. Uh oh. Hannah W, um, bring us home. Um, there are a lot of a lot of amazing moments in season one of, of Ted Lasso, including just that, like we said, evolution of Rebecca and moments, uh, you know, with with Ted, uh, you know, outside karaoke. Uh, uh, t- talk about sort of your favorite moment. Well, like you say, it's kind of hard for me because. Um, you know, the audience have been taken on on such an emotional roller coaster with it themselves. But us in the playing of it, I really, really appreciate Hannah feeling it and it bubbling to the surface because when you are in the middle of that brilliant writing with somebody standing opposite you, and for me, it's Anthony Head um, as Rupert. He, I, hundred percent don't feel like I could have got to where I needed to get to without somebody as brilliant and as gentlemanly in real life as he is. Um, there were two moments for me, if you'll um, indulge me for a second. The first one was when as a company, as a football team, as it were, we all came together in episode four, the gala or gala, as you say. And it was the first time we all also got to hang out around our trailers. And then when you watch it, as a, as a piece, the gala, when Rebecca is trying to stand on her own two feet for the first time away from Rupert, and you get all the brilliant, brilliant funny scenes between Nick Mohammed, who I still can't make eye contact with, and I have to just slightly look off one of his ears to get through scenes because my giant mouth gets in the way and just starts laughing, and then I'm in trouble because Rebecca's not meant to really laugh. So there's like all the stuff with him and Brett Goldstein and Ted, of course, And then you have the scene outside the gala when it's the first time you see Rebecca relax to Ted. And the thing that was amazing for me was Jason allowing me in as an actress saying, can I add a couple of things that will get me where I need to be? And barely knew me. And he listened it through and as usual kind of stroked the Ted Lasso Tash and was like, "Mm, okay. And I added a couple of things in and sharing that moment with him and the first moment when Rupert comes in to the gala and Rebecca is blinded by the the spotlight and it's her ex who has literally reached into her heart and smashed it on the floor. And now the first time she's seeing him is in front of a whole room full of people who expect her to be able to rise above it. That, so that episode, the, the the peaks and troughs of that. And then, of course, episode nine, when, as you say, Rebecca finally confesses to Ted. And that, for me, was totally at the hands of Anthony Head, who had been wrapped for the day for his coverage. So I'd had, I was absolutely in the pocket with him, like blinkers with him for all of that. And then they wrapped him because they were going to turn around, basically shooting me on my shoulder. And then I turn around close up and walk down the stairs to confess to Ted. And in that moment, I think Anthony could see my desperation and fear that I wasn't going to be able to get back to that point. And he stayed. He stayed through lunch. 
He stayed while they went on to other scenes. And when we came back to that scene where I have to turn around, which is so pivotal for Rebecca, he had stayed and was there pouring a load of nasty stuff about Rebecca and Rupert into my ear so that I was in the right place. So that will always mean something to me. And working with him in particular has been the greatest gift that this job's given me. So those two, the episode four and ep nine. Wow. Can I just say something that I, I love? I love that story. It's so true. What you get back and the generosity of people with you, and in the back of your head, because sometimes we all do this. I just did this. I went. They don't need me for this. And you go, asshole, stay. It's never. It's never going to be forgotten. And and I, and if you, no matter what you do, people go. You know, I worked with him in 1973, and the bastard went home on my. <laughs> That's all they'll remember. So always stay for their cover. Everybody else's coverage. That's my. That's if you learn nothing else today. It's true. It's true. But, it's a yeah. basic thing. But bother and be, a, yeah, but, be the, like theater players. Stay and support each other. Of course, of course. Except for the people for whom I didn't stay, but. <laughs> All of you should absolutely do. That. I'm, not as, I'm not as nice as. Uh, <laughs> that concludes our master class. Thank there you go. <laughs> it's so true, but I, that's almost the most important thing. That's Courtney Lilly, William Zabka, Rosie Perez, Hannah Einbinder, Paul Reiser, Debbie Liebling, and Hannah Waddingham. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Danielle Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.